Thank you so much for tuning in to the Defending Christianity podcast. I'm your host, Levi Dade, and in this podcast, we aim to talk about the evidence and reasons for why the Christian faith is true and why it is good. We do this with the hope to encourage the church to engage the culture around us and to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus as 1 Peter 3.15 commands. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. So we see where we start, where they are, that it's a more open of a conversation. We can we can um, get more done out of it. So what what's the contrast between that and starting at the gospel or or um, differently or starting where we are instead or where we want them to be? The, the next thing to say, and I didn't say this so much in the book, I hinted at it more than than said it, is I really think the place to start with the gospels in Genesis one and rather than Genesis three. Yes. And what I mean by that is, is that the gospel is a restoration exercise that takes us back to the way God made us to be in Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. When you start at Genesis 3, you're making um, sin sinner as their primal identity. Sin is the, and, and sin is the focus of the conversation. Yeah. But the gospel's good news because it reconnects us to God. It reconnects us to having been made in the image of God. It reconnects us to the way we were designed to live which was to be in fellowship with God. Now, Genesis 3 is important because that broke that relationship. But when you start in Genesis 1, you're not only starting where the story begins, you're also starting where the story ends because the picture of Revelation are people who are eternally connected to the living God the way they ought to be. Mm. And so, so when you start there, you're starting in the right place. Everyone's searching to be located in this world. They want to know why they're here, what life's supposed to be about, um, what I'm supposed to be doing, why I exist. All those core kinds of questions are at the base of why anyone. And we've got so much noise coming at us from so many different directions in the culture. People feel very dislocated. Mm-hmm. Well, of course they feel dislocated. They've got all these voices pushing them in every which way, in every direction. And there are lots of alternatives and lots of choices out there. So I like to start the conversation with a real core, why do you think you're here? You know, uh, what are you? Are you just an accidental collection of chemistry and biology? Or is there something more to being a human being? Most people believe in their core. There's something more to being a human being. Once they go there, you're in Genesis 1. And you can go from there. Awesome. Yeah, and I, I totally agree on that. And I think, like we said, starting at Genesis 3, you're making the sinner as their primal identity. But Genesis 1, you see that that's not who you're supposed to be, and we want to go back. We you were created to be back. a child of God. Yeah. That's the starting point. And Amen. we were created, in, in a, at a more corporate level, we were created male and female to collaborate together to manage this world that we live in well, which, of course, we're not doing. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, I like to tell people God didn't promote the creation from good to very good until he finished creating human beings as male and female to cooperate with one another in the man and collaborate with one another in the management of the creation in the stewardship of the creation. Mm-hmm. So that's another element of the Genesis one story that you tell. And of course, one of the things that salvation is designed to do is to not only reconcile us to God, it's to reconcile us to each other. Mm-hmm. So that that collaboration can take place mm-hmm. in a healthy way, as opposed to in a more destructive way. I love that. Um, so 
I'm, I've often wondered this, and I wanted your opinion on this. You know, I've talked about the the book Tactics by Greg Kokel a couple of times on the show, um, and he kind of makes the case in the book that oftentimes you don't have to, and it's and you don't even have to try to always get to the gospel. Um, to quote, he says, sometimes you can just put a stone in someone's shoe. What are your thoughts on that? Do, you, do we always have to get to the gospel? Have yeah, to get to the I gospel? like that image. And what and and what I, the way I use it, and I think it's the way he's also using it, and I think this is what you see Paul doing in Acts 17 is he takes the person from where they are coming from, and he puts, for lack of a better description, little irritants in the way of the way they're thinking. I, I call it giving someone pause. You want them to hit the pause button on where they are, and to reflect on it. When you have a stone in your shoe, it's annoying. It doesn't go away. Every time you take a step, you know it's there. You're shaking your foot to try and get the stone in a location in the shoe where it isn't bothering you as you walk. Eventually you give up and you take off your shoe and you take the stone out of the shoe. But so, so this is something that you leave with the person that gets them thinking about the way they're looking at life. Hmm. which opens them up to maybe there's a different way or a different step that needs to be taken, that kind of a thing. So that's yeah. the way I see the, the stone in the shoe. And I think that's part of what you're trying to do. You're trying to give a person pause about the way they're approaching life and to suggest in the process that might not be the way best way to live. There might be another hmm. better way to go. Hmm. Yeah, because if we're always just wanting to get to the gospel, sometimes we might feel rushed to do that, especially if we have a limited amount of time, that's preventing us from listening to the person like we previously said that's very important and vital. I agree. Exactly um, right. And, and of course, what you're doing is you're asking them to come a long way in a, in a single moment, which may or may not be what they need. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, may, they first may need to get a little bit of sense about where they're located and why they're dislocated before they need to uh, understand the need to get relocated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, so do we have any examples of the main figure, Jesus himself, um, engaging people on, on, on the outside? In our case, this would be Gentiles uh, that, that we can learn from? Well, I, I think his engagement with the Samaritan woman is really instructive. Mm -hmm. um, because here you have him take an everyday object that she was going out and getting every day. She walked to the well to get her water every day. And he's turned, he turns that into a spiritual conversation. He is inviting her to have access to this water that she actually doesn't understand what it is. She still thinks he's talking about water out of the well. Um, and that engenders a long conversation about the nature of her life. And he's engaging her all along the way. Now, granted, he's got an advantage. He knows what her life is about all the way through. Uh, we don't always know that. But what you're seeing him do is take events out of everyday life and uh, moving them in a direction where they become a more reflective conversation. Mm. Yeah, the, the gospel can be contextualized into any activity, really, if you think about it. That's, that's the beauty of it. Beauty well, actually, of it. many of the metaphors of the Bible are very, very common. Think about mm -hmm. it. Light. A door, shepherd and sheep. I mean, uh, fish that are caught. I mean, just their their everyday Mundane images things, that yeah. certainly people in that world live with on a on a very regular basis. You know, we as mostly city folk maybe don't go through all of that, but we certainly know what some of those images are. And 
and and they're nice bridges into into deeper truths. Yeah, I agree. And in the book, you talk a lot about these difficult conversations, and they can sometimes be divisive. What can the church do better about these types of conversations, in in your opinion? Well, of course, what I do is I go through five things you do that damage conversations and five things that you do that can advance conversations. But I'll I'll just highlight two of the damagers. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is the use of slogans. Um, Slogans are ways of saying, I'm not interested in discussing substance with you. So if I... I can label what you do as coming from a certain place and I'm being dismissive. I don't have to go there. Okay. It's actually creates a form of non-engagement. It also creates a form of non-conversation. So it runs against having a conversation. It's a way of stiff arming. Um, so that's certainly one thing we do is we use slogans and I, I call it the exorcist principle. If I can label you mm-hmm. with something that I reject, then I don't have to deal with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I call, you know, so, you know, I, and I, and, and sloganeering is an equal opportunity uh, employer, the right and the left both use it politically. Mm-hmm. Um, our entire ad campaign for candidates is based upon it. So it's a, it's bad modeling that's taking place in front of us. Cause I just label you and dismiss you in the process. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in what you have to say. The way I like to say this to Christians is to say, imagine you're at the table and you share an idea. You share an idea about the gospel, whatever. And the person responds to you by saying, you know what? I know you're a Christian and that's a Christian idea. And because that's a Christian idea, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Imagine how that would make you feel in your effort to share. Well, we actually do that in reverse with other people. We can do it in all kinds of ways. We can call someone a fundamentalist. We can call someone a Marxist. You know, we can use all kinds, a leftist, a rightist, a fascist, take your pick. Like I said, it's an equal opportunity employer. Everybody does it to everybody, but it doesn't advance conversation. Mm. Um, yeah. You want to get down into the substance of, of it, at the least, what's behind that claim, okay? Mm. And, and you don't want to park on the claim. You want to park on what is underneath the claim. That's the conversation you want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and so that undermines uh, our conversations in very significant ways and in ways that does uh, significant damage to how we interact with people. Yeah. Um, I- another, another thing that we do is what I call the quick confession and pivot. This is another thing you see regularly. So someone brings up something where your group or your idea is at fault. And you acknowledge it, but you go, yes, but. And what they're interested in is you're dealing with what's on the front end of that response. What you're interested in doing is pivoting in and getting away from having that conversation. Mm. That actually doesn't advance conversation. You need to own your own stuff, you know, and acknowledge it, come to grips with it, acknowledge what the contribution on your side of the problem is. And then when you've done that, you've given room to the person on the other side to be willing to do the same thing on the other end. Mm-hmm. Christians lead by example in that case. Yeah. Exactly right. And so, you know, we all know we're broken people, so we know we're not perfect. So we shouldn't try to pretend that we are. Mm-hmm. And even if we may in our soul believe that the problem coming from the other end is bigger than the problem, we contribute to the problem. 
it still is important to acknowledge that there's a contribution in the problem coming from your side. Yeah, that's a great way to uh, think about it. So on those lines, you know I have a love and passion for apologetics and helping people that, that I can help understand the church's need for apologetics, if for no other reason to preserve the true teachings of God's Word in this, in this progressive culture. Many times, as Sean points out on the uh, Think Biblically podcast, these conversations are fear-based. Um, I'm a Baptist, so this is especially true. <laughs> but, you you know, you'll hear the postmodernist, the LGBTQ, and so on, is taking over the world. How can we teach the Bible better that won't encourage the us-versus-them mentality? Well, first thing that we've got to realize are a few things. Um um, the gospel is, uh, is that upon which God has built the church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Mm. Okay, so there's no loss coming. Mm. Okay, we, it, it, it's like being in the game with the confidence of knowing that the outcome ultimately is realized, even if you may feel at this particular point in the game you're running behind. Mm. It's like watching like a, a football game that's already been recorded. Yeah, exactly you know right. Win. You may be down 40 to 22, okay? But um, the ending tells you you're going to win. Mm-hmm. The second thing to realize is another Bible verse, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have access to the Creator God. We have access to the Spirit of the Creator God. There is no force in the universe greater than that connection. Mm-hmm. So we have nothing to fear. It's comforting. Yeah. So if our identity is solid in Christ, there is nothing to fear. Um, And we may bemoan the situation that we live in in the midst of a fallen world. God bemoaned the situation of a fallen world. How did he deal with it? He dealt with it by giving his son to draw people to himself. Mm. So how do we deal with it? We deal with it by giving of ourselves to draw people to God. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's, it's another great model to think about. So um, before we're almost done with this part of the episode and we'll have five or 10 more minutes to talk about all things apologetics. What are some, adv- what, what's some advice that you would give someone in the church who has the mindset of, um, well, I, I can't love these people the way, uh, God does because of the differences and they're just too much and they're too deep and the wounds are too deep or something to that extent. What, like, how can we get out of that mindset as well? Well, you better keep your eye on the target. God is making you to be like him. Mm. I'm supposed to imitate Paul. I'm supposed to imitate Christ in the middle of the sermon on the plain in Luke, God calls us to love our enemies by doing so, you model the character of God and show yourself really to be a son of God because you're modeling his character. It gives the illustration about how God cares even for the unjust. And so, so um, that mindset is actually the exact opposite of where the Bible is supposed to take us. Yeah. Uh, and, and it is the exceptional way that Christians love that shows that they belong to an exceptional and unique faith. Mm. Even says in that same section, if you love only the people that love you, even sinners do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and of course the point is we're we're supposed to display a kind of life that is counter to the way 
um, everyone operates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, we, and we've touched on this a little bit, but to, to end this part of the episode, I'll, I want to ask this. How can the Christian community do better um, to engage the culture on issues of race, LGBTQ, gun control, immigration, and, and so on? These hot topics. Uh, by applying all the things that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Engage in a conversation. Build a relationship. People will not care about your challenge or your critique unless they know you care. Mm. And so, so you engage them in relationship. You, you, um, you, you get to know them. Uh, and you look for those things that can connect to a presentation of the gospel. We might, you know, we might end up being in very different places on how we view sexuality, but we may share certain other values that can connect us to someone. So that that's not the only thing we're talking about, mm. that kind of thing. Um, and you're looking for those spaces and places um, so that you can build that relationship because once you build trust, okay, then you build the opportunity to engage more substantially and in some cases even challenge and put. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I agree. This is uh, Dr. Daryl Bach, everybody, with um, cultural engage. I'm sorry, cultural intelligence, not engagement. Cultural intelligence, living for God in a diverse, pluralistic world. Uh, thank you so much for that, Dr. Bach. And to end, I just want to spend five or ten minutes talking about we're doing this new segment, uh, an apologetic for apologetics. Um, this is where we discuss the importance and the great need for apologetics in the church. And you can tie this into cultural engagement, uh, of course, because, you know, it's very easy to do so. But uh, how do well, well, first I want to ask this. Why do you think that the church is kind of um, hesitant when it comes to Christian apologetics? Well, I think they're often hesitant to Christian apologetics because they don't know. <laughs> they, they don't know. um Thank you so much for joining us today on Defending Christianity Podcast. I hope and pray that you were encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And if you're someone who's seeking truth, I hope and pray that you have gotten closer to that. Because Jesus is the truth. Join us next time on the Defending Christianity Podcast. God bless.